What American national holiday was kicked around to different dates for business purposes? Ah,、oh, I have a guess. And how long is the average attention span? Very short. <laughs> <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of the Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off ramp—a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, attention spans—they keep getting shorter and shorter, yes, don't they? Yes, they do. Indeed, they do. So, your question again is: How long is the average attention span today? Hmm, that keeps changing as time goes by. We seem to be losing our ability to focus on things. So, what was that?、Uh, a squirrel. Hello. Attention span. Yes. What we were just talking about. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. Is it somewhere in the minutes? Is it like maybe within ten minutes or less? It's in minutes, more than ten. Wow, it, that's that's good. Okay, I don't know. Twenty minutes. Really? See,、yeah. I would have thought it would have been shorter than that. Well,、shorter、think about that. it. You watch movies and you read books and you you know you do focus. But if you're listening to someone boring, that's you, true. You lose you lose interest pretty fast. But oh, sorry. What was that? You do, you do that to me. People are listening, going, "That is so mean." So well,、rude. you do it to me too. Yeah. Well, okay, I do. How much shorter is the attention span than it was ten years ago, Bob? How、okay. many minutes have we lost? I bet we've lost at least five minutes from ten years More. ago. More. Oh, really? How, what? How many? Twelve minutes. So what was it before? Well, today it's twenty. So it must have been thirty-two. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Ten years ago. Yeah. Boy, that's a lot of、uh, time to lose in ten years' time. Yeah, it But, is. You know, you had the internet and a whole bunch of other things yeah, that have changed I, I things. Yeah, just the culture, just the things we watch too, are so crazy fast and brief. And, that's and brief. true.、Yeah. Fast paced. Okay. All right. So, just a couple of factoids: your brain starts slowing down at around age twenty-four. According to LegacyBox.com, if you're intoxicated, your brain cannot store memories. Oh really? So see now that would explain why people black out. They can't remember what they yeah, did. Yeah, you, you got to be really intoxicated. Is that why people don't remember their weddings? I don't. Oh, they know. remember <laughs> their weddings. They don't remember the wedding reception. Oh, that's it. Yes, that's <laughs> where the memory starts to fade. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Okay, Marcia. What American national holiday was kicked around to different dates for business purposes? Oh, I bet it was. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yes, it was Thanksgiving, which you know we know goes back to the Pilgrims and before that time. And George Washington was the first president to proclaim Thanksgiving a holiday. Did you know that, George Washington? Yes. And then Abraham Lincoln did it officially as a holiday in 1863. But one president messed around with the date of Thanksgiving to help business people who wanted an extra week of Christmas shopping to spur the economy. Oh, is that? Well, that makes sense. Okay, the hint is it was during the Great Depression. <laughs> uh huh. Who was the president? Ah,、uh, during the Great. Well, was the guy? Was it the guy before FDR? Who would that be? 
Ah, you're the president guy. I can't remember. Herbert Hoover. Herbie. Yes, but guess what? What? It wasn't Herbert Hoover. No? It was FDR. Oh, it was? Yes, you'd think Herbert Hoover, big business person, would be the one who'd mess around with the holiday. Uh But no, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, starting in 1939, he declared November 23rd, the next to last Thursday, as Thanksgiving Day. And he did it again in 1940 to give the nation one more week of shopping for Christmas at the urging of business people. Well, that didn't go over well. The move was very controversial. Several states followed his lead, but others balked with 16 states refusing to honor the calendar shift. So we had two Thanksgivings (laughs) for two years in a row. In the 40s? Yeah. Then in the fall of 1941, the U.S. Congress passed a resolution returning the holiday to the fourth Thursday of November, and FDR signed it, and that's where it's been ever since. But that was the holiday that was kicked around for business purposes, of all holidays, Thanksgiving. Okay. All right, Bob. Why do we call those seeking political favors from elected officials lobbyists? Because they were always out in the lobby. Let's see, that was a building. There was a building where this happened. I don't know if it was in the White House, but one building where they kept these people in the lobby waiting for their appointments. Well, you're on the right track. The term lobbying originated from the earliest days of the British Parliament, where an extensive corridor runs between the Chamber of the Lords and the House of Commons. Because the general public was allowed into this corridor, or lobby, it's where constituents waited to meet their representatives. Okay. And that had a great influence on the term, and they became lobbyists. Isn't that interesting? Even back then, we were turning those things into verbs, from they're in the lobby out there to they're lobbying me out there. Because it's like a verb, lobbying, but it means a room where this takes place. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of things taking place, I have a number of things named after the places where they came from. I'll tell you what the things are, and you tell me where the places are, okay? Okay. Cheddar cheese. Where did it come from? Where was that named for? What place? What place? Uh, Cheddar, uh, England. Yes, the town of Cheddar in southwest England. You're right. I just, I just made that up. No, it's true. I mean, darn. It's not covered by a protected designation of origin. That means no matter where it's produced, uh, you can call it Cheddar. It's not like champagne. Right, not like champagne. Here's another one, duffel bags. Duffel bags. The, uh, what place was it named yeah, after? Uh-huh. Okay. Duffel. Duffel? But where is duffel? England. No. No, Germany. No. France. No. <laughs> okay, you're you close. You thwart me, sir. You're close. It's Belgium. Belgium. Yeah, the phrase duffel bag stands for a particular type of bag, but they were originally named for the thick duffel cloth they were made out of, which was produced in the town of Duffel, Belgium. And duffel coats are named for the same purpose. Okay, one more. Lyme disease. You've heard of that. L-Y-M-E. Now, I've heard of Lyme, too. Uh, Lyme, England. No, not Lyme, England. <laughs> I think everyone... Just wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> no, that disease had its large outbreak in the towns of Lyme and Old Lyme, Connecticut, during the 1970s. Oh, really? It's here. And that's when that syndrome was recognized as a disease, and they called it oh. Lyme disease. So wow. it came from L-Y-M-E, Connecticut. So it's an American origin. Yeah. Very interesting, Bob. Okay, Bob, can you name uh, a few of the top... Hobbies and activities in the U.S. as of 2022? 
Hmm. Okay. The top hobbies and act. See, yeah. now this is one of those things where I'm. I know I'm not in the mainstream. I don't do auto repair. I don't go hunting. I don't do a lot of things that a lot of people do. So uh, let me just try genealogy, family history. No. See, there we go. <laughs> Walking through cemeteries. No. No. no, no. Um, let's see. What else might be of interest? You do some of these top things. Bob. I read a lot. I yes, don't know. That's number two. Oh, 30... good. I do. Yes. I'm in the mainstream. Thirty-seven percent of us love to read. What's the number one, Marsh? Cooking and baking. Oh. I can't imagine that thirty-nine percent of Americans love to cook and bake, but they do. Not I. Eating. That would be a larger percentage. You and I are definitely number one with that. (laughs) All right. What are some of those others? Others, I'm going right down the list here. Pets with the top three. Outdoor activities. Outdoor activities. That's kind of. That's broad. It is. Could be hunting, uh, fishing. Could be pets outdoors. (laughs) Could be cooking outdoors. That's followed by video gaming, traveling, arts and crafts, gardening, board games, and card games tied with socializing. That's yeah. a hobby. Socializing. Socializing. Let's go out and... Well, that's a big hobby for me. Tech and computers. Oh, yeah, I do that. That's 20% of Americans. Okay. And then uh, 12, photography. Oh, I do that too. Yes. Well, I'm more mainstream than I thought. Yeah. That's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anybody who knows me. Okay, back to things and where they came from. Okay. Chihuahuas. Chihuahua. Okay. Well, that's from Wawa, Washington. No. Not. It's from Chihuahua, Mexico, Marsh. Oh, that's, I've heard of that. <laughs> that's where the excavations prove that the breed was in that area for more than 1,400 years before really? Europeans arrived. So Chihuahua is being named after Chihuahua, Mexico. Very legitimate naming those of those Itty-bitty dogs. skinny things. Okay, the Rosetta Stone, you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. What was that named after? Not Rosetta. <laughs> Girl that somebody used to go out with. At the museum? No. Well, did they find a Rosetta in Egypt somewhere? Yes. Yes, in Egypt, yes. In the town of Rashid, or as the French called it, Rosette. Okay. So that's how it became the Rosetta Stone. And one more, rugby. Oh, well, that is a very... I say England for everything, don't I? Yeah, that's true, Marcia. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Where in, where in uh, England? How do I know? The rugby school. Of... The rugby school. There was a school called the rugby school. I'm supposed to know that? People at rugby school in England picked up the ball and ran with it during a soccer game and oh. invented the game of rugby. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I didn't know that. The first written rules for the game originated at the school in 1845. Okay. So. All right. Thank All right. you for that. You got it. Okay. You may love Disney, Bob, and I know that you do, but you don't love it as much as Jeff Wright's. He's a 49-year-old who brought new meaning to the term Disney adult by visiting the happiest place on earth. How many days in a row until the pandemic shut him down? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How many days in a year or over time? Over time. Oh, geez. I have no idea. A thousand days? That would be over three years. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is that your answer? Okay, yeah. Okay, no. 2,995 days. Almost 3,000 days in a row. A streak that only ended when Disneyland shut down during the pandemic. In a row. He was going there every day. He said it began as a joke and a fun thing to do between he and a friend. And uh, they were between jobs. And they started on, you know, New Year's Eve. And it just kept going on and on. And he worked in nearby Long Beach. And he'd usually arrive at Disneyland between 4.30 and 5 every day. 
and he'd log his 10,000 steps every day during his three to five hour visits. Every day after yeah. work, go to Disney. I don't think he had a big social life. I don't think so either. Did you know that Disney employees have a phrase they're not allowed to use? You know what that is? I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. You know, that's not a bad thing to teach somebody. Say, let me see if I can help you, uh-huh. or let me see if we can figure that out. Yeah. It's a better way to say it than I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Okay, Marcia, I have a question for you. You've heard of uh, the Six Flags amusement parks? Yes. Okay, and those kind of began. Six Flags started in Texas. Six Flags over Texas is a famous phrase. Yeah, it is. What were the Six Flags over Texas? What Uh, were the flags that uh, once were over Texas? Were they like different, like uh, Texas, U.S., uh, Mexico, those kind of flags? No, they're the six nations that have claimed Texas at one time or another. (laughs) Of course. What were they? What was the first? Any idea? The first to say they I'll were I'll give you a date. Uh, 1519. 15, oh, that helps. Uh, I'll say uh, Spain. That was right. 1519. Spain claimed sovereignty over Texas. After that came France, Mexico, the Republic of Texas. It was a country unto itself at one point. The United States. And what was the other nation? What year? 1861. 18, well, that would have been uh, Mexico. The Confederate States of oh, America oh, during the Civil oh, War. Oh, 1861. Yeah. I see. Oh, six flags. Well, there you go. All right. Now, one more question on the six flags over Texas, okay? Uh-huh. Three of those powers controlled Texas more than once. Any idea which ones they were? Say again. Three of those powers we named controlled Texas more than once. I'll give you one. Obviously, the United States had it more than once, right? Uh Before and after the Civil War. Uh Spain had it from 1519 to 1685, and then from 1690 to 1821. And then France had it twice, from 1684 to 1690, and from 1800 to 1803, when it was part of Louisiana, French Louisiana. Anyway, so Uh, that's a little information on Six Flags over Texas. Back to amusement park questions. (laughs) Okay, Bob. The famous Sistine Chapel ceiling Mm -hmm. has that fresco centerpiece in the middle of it called the creation of Adam. Can you picture that in your head? Yes, that's where the, uh, I think it's Adam and God and their fingers are touching fingers, I believe. Yes. And, you know, there's, isn't there kind of a spark there or something? Yes. But anyway, what famous movie poster did that visual inspire? Uh, Was it Oh God? Was that that one? No. This is something you know. Well, let's see. Uh, Can you give me any hint? No. (laughs) You love the movie. It wasn't um, uh, Heaven Can Wait, was it? You love the movie. Oh, it was E.T.? Yes. Oh, really? Yes. Think about the the, uh, poster. It's... It's uh, the, the finger of the, of the alien, and the, that's and right. And the boy's finger touching and the big spark. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, me either. So that was inspired by the Sistine Chapel. Yes, the poster was designed by artist John Elvin, who was inspired by the Michelangelo masterpiece. Wow. I never think of Michelangelo as two different names like that. It's Michelangelo. I know it's one name. Oh, you're just you're just trying to get me to do. No, you said yeah, the yeah. Michelangelo I masterpiece. I was just spreading it out. Okay, I'm going right. to go and warm my cheese. Uh, okay, let's take a break. <laughs> cool off. We'll come back. You're listening to the off ramp with Bob and me, Marsha Smith. <laughs> okay, let's take a break. Take a break. I'll be right back.
You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We're back again and refreshed and ready to move on. (laughs) Marcia, I'd like to return to the present holiday of Thanksgiving and ask you a question. What did Mary, what did Mary had a little lamb have to do with Thanksgiving? Not that, nothing that I know of. Uh, There's two word answer, Marcia. Not much. A lot. A lot. (laughs) Just the opposite of your answer, a lot. Okay, tell me, sweetheart. Okay, now, Secretary of State William Seward wrote it, Abraham Lincoln signed it, but much of the credit for the Thanksgiving proclamation during the Civil War should go to a woman named Sarah Josepha Hale, a prominent writer and editor. She wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, and she was a famous magazine editor back in the Civil War, and she lobbied and campaigned for the holiday. During the Civil War, she'd write editorials urging Americans to put aside their sectional feelings, and then after both the United States and the Confederates used the holiday for political purposes during battles, issued their times of thanksgiving, ah. she thought, no, no, this isn't the right use of this. And she sent Abraham Lincoln a letter, and a week later, he signed a proclamation. So apparently she kind of spurred him on. She had some sway. Yeah. So she wrote a letter in September 28, and then within a week, Seward had drafted Lincoln's official proclamation. Okay. So you can thank Mary Had a Little Lamb for the Thanksgiving holiday. I had no idea. Well, the woman who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. (laughs) I could see your little (laughs) face wanted to say more. Okay. How many people contributed to E.T.'s voice? How many people? I I thought it was just one. I thought it was... uh... 18, actually. Really? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I thought you'd get a kick out of it. 18? Yes. The primary voice behind the alien was an older woman named Pat Welsh, who smoked two packs of cigarettes a day to get that certain vocal quality. (laughs) Oh, jeez. E.T. for Okay. But when it came to E.T.'s other sounds, like burping and snorting, they were sourced from all over, including the film sound effects creator's wife, Spielberg himself, and ultimately there were a total of 18 people who took part in the fictional friend voice. Oh, no kidding. And at some points, they even used sea otters, raccoons, and horses. Wow. For different sounds, noises, and words. That's why it sounded so strange at times, I think. uh, Maybe it did seem to veer off into different ways. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 18 voices. 18 different voices. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Thank you, Marsha. You're welcome, dear. All right, back to presidents. A question. Yeah. You do this on purpose, don't you? What town was named for a U.S. president's nickname? And I have a hint. It's in California. What town was named for a U.S. Hickory. president's nickname? Hickory, California. Old Hickory. Hickory. Old Hickory. Yes. That would have been... Uh, I don't know. Andrew Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not. Ah, but how do you... There could be a Hickory, California. But there isn't. Okay. <laughs> Not the one I'm talking about. All right. Okay, it's Rough and Ready, California. You're kidding. Rough and Ready? There's a uh, Okay. There's a town called Rough and Ready. It's a president's nickname. Rough Rough and and Ready. Ready. Was it Teddy? No, it wasn't. Who was it? It was Zachary Taylor. The town was named by an Army captain, A.A. Townsend. He came to California in 1849 and discovered gold. He recently served with future President Zachary Taylor, old Rough and Ready, And so Townsend named the community Rough and Ready in honor of Zachary Taylor. But at one point, the Rough and Ready people tried to secede from the Union over concerns about taxation and representation. And they had the Republic of Rough and Ready. But it didn't last real long. (laughs) It doesn't have a ring to it. When the uh, citizens tried to buy alcohol from a nearby town and they were rejected as foreigners because they weren't from the United States anymore, (laughs) 
<laughs> they decided to go back and call the town Rough and Ready again. So okay. it's Rough and Ready, California. It goes all the way back to 1849, and it was for the nickname of U.S. President Zachary Taylor. All right. Thank you, Bob. I have to dig out that old book I haven't looked at for a while that Steve Short sent us on presidents. Oh, I yeah. Can, I'll have to trip you up. Oh, there's a some. lot of good stuff oh, in there, yeah. I'll bet. And a lot of it we use, but I got to find more because you're starting to annoy me. Okay. <laughs> Bob, what is the only state currently without a commercial airline service? Wow. Yeah. There's a state without yeah. commercial airline right service? Right now. Right now, as we speak. Is it a, hmm, is it a big state or a little state? Is it a western state or an eastern state? <laughs> is it a northern state or a southern state? Which one do you want me to answer? You get one uh, one hint. Western state or an eastern state? Eastern. Okay, is it Delaware? Yes. Okay. Well, why did I, you say that? I think that? I just read that. They just yes. lost their commercial air service. Yep, they had one remaining route, a Frontier airline flight between Orlando and Newcastle Airport near Wilmington, Delaware, and it ended in June 2022. Oh, my. With a spokesperson saying there wasn't sufficient demand. It doesn't exactly leave Delawareans stranded because they can always hop over to Wilmington, the state's most popular city, and it's only 32 miles from Philadelphia, where they have a few airline routes. Yes, just a few. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my. uh, Avilo, A-V-E-L-O, Airlines, is expected to begin operating five new routes from Wilmington. Hmm, Okay. They will be getting air service back again. All right, I have a question on a place. In what state is Washington Irving's Sleepy Hollow? This is actual places for literary settings, a quiz I found on travelquiz.com. Quite interesting. So one of the questions was, in what what state is Washington Irving's Sleepy Hollow? I'll give you choices. Okay. Unlike you, I give you choices, Marcia. Mexico. No, I'm sorry. Minnesota, Uh South Carolina, Uh Delaware, Uh or New York? South Carolina. No, it's not in South Carolina. It sounds like it could be a Sleepy Hollow, South Uh Carolina. But the village of Sleepy Hollow, there's actually a town by that name, is in New York. That inspired Washington Irving to pen his most famous short story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, with with the headless horseman and all of that. Did you read that? Yes, of course. That was a poem or a story. A what? It was a short story, but it's kind of a poem. Oh, poem. And that was in 1820. When he did that. And the real town, Sleepy Hollow, the Headless Horseman is fictional, but the village of Sleepy Hollow is a real place. It's in Westchester County, 30 miles north of New York City. So it wasn't that far away from New York, but back in those days, you you step outside the city limits, you're in the country. Okay. Well, that's, no, I never heard of that. All right, Bob, before I get to my quote, here's a question. All airplanes have a secret handrail. Where is it? A secret hand rail uh-huh. in airplanes. Uh-huh. It's next to the toilet. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know where the secret hand I, rail would I be. I didn't either. I didn't either. But when you think about it, if you've ever watched the flight attendants, you notice that they repeatedly reach up to the ceiling when they walk down the aisle. I thought they were just checking always the overheads, but that's because there's a built-in handle, a rail along the bottom edge of the storage compartments which they use to steady themselves. And we can too, but nobody knows about it. I'll be darned. (laughs) No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I saw a picture of it. It's actually an indentation, and you can just hold yourself upright I can imagine it now that you're talking about it, looking at some of those shapes of those uh, storage units above Uh the plane. Well, I'll be darned. Okay. Who knew? You think they'd tell you. They tell you everything else. 
but maybe they don't want to tell you, Marsh. They want to see you fall over in the aisle. No, no, you no. You know, but what do most people do? They grab the back of a chair to yeah. steady themselves, right? Uh, and you annoy the person who's sitting that there. That definitely yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just speaking of King Charles. You know, we were talking about how environmentally conscious he is of everything. Yes. Since 1970, Charles has owned an Aston Martin DB6 automobile, which is fueled by what? Since 1970. Potatoes. <laughs> no. Okay. So he has a car. Is it, is it a hydrogen car? Is it? No. So his car is not fueled by gasoline. No. I love this. So is he on the cutting edge of things? It's not electricity. Well, this, this has been going on since 1970. Okay, what's the answer? Wine and cheese. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. His car is fueled by wine yeah, and cheese? It's an untraditional fuel source. Oh, my God. In keeping with his efforts to lower his own personal carbon footprint, instead of gas, Charles' favorite vehicle uses repurposed surplus English white wine and whey made from cheese-making process. Is there a certain year that he uses With, because it's the best vintage for powering <laughs> no, a car? Th these two things are converted into bioethanol fuel. The unique huh. fuel is created by a company called Green Fuels, uh, and he worked with Aston Martin specialists to produce this unusual energy source. So it just shows you where there's a will, there's a way. So what does he own? He owns, a, he owns an Aston Martin car. And yeah, As Aston Martin DB6 car. All right, okay. good. All right, and uh, I have a one-word origin question for you, which you'll like. Okay. Why do we call the control area of an aircraft a cockpit? Oh, that's a good question. The cockpit. The cockpit. Hmm. It has something to do with another time before aviation, I'll bet. It does. Okay. So, I don't know. What's the answer? <laughs> I would never thought of this. In the good old days of legal cockfighting, uh-huh. Birds were taken into a pit in the ground and fought to the death. These fights were very quick and very bloody. And so during the First World War, pilots were inserted into a confined space to do battle. And so they named that space the cockpit. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Just because they're in that tight little yeah, area and as they a were plane. going to do battle. Wow. And just like the cocks in the pit did. Well, that makes sense. And you got the wings of the plane, like a wing, like a bird has wings. Yeah. So it all yeah. fits. It all makes yeah. sense. I would have never thought of that's that. A, and that's a great phrase origin question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we all know the term Google has been turned into a verb. Right. I'm going to Google something. I'm going to look at something. Googly eyes. <laughs> Where was the first use of Google as a verb in pop culture? Any idea? It well, was a TV show. Uh, was I? I was joking just now. Googly eyes. Was it something to do? No, with, that's, no? that goes way, way back. Way back. Yeah, so that's, that's old. This is Google. I'm yeah. going to Google using it as a verb. Yeah. Uh, tell me. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, really? Yeah, it was that show was the first place anywhere that somebody used that term. First time it was ever used that way. Google as a verb in pop culture. I'll be darned. Yeah. All right. What's your uh, great quote for today, Marsha? All right. I have two little ones. Oscar Wilde, and I truly believe this, to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so, he's so in love right now, he can't throw the ball. Oh, okay. dear. And here's one that I use regularly. Uh, it's a quote from Miss Piggy. 
Uh, never eat more than you can lift. Oh, I remember you used to use that term <laughs> a lot. You'd say that. We'd go places. I never eat more than I can lift. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. We hope you have a happy, happy Thanksgiving coming up if you're celebrating that. And uh, we invite you to join us when we return again with more fun facts, trivia, and fascinating stories. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And we invite you to return with us to the great land of trivia. <laughs> the great peaceful land. The peaceful land the of trivia. The frontier of trivia around the I world. I think it's a rowdy land. Uh, rowdy trivia land. is a rowdy, rowdy land with lots of people celebrating and, and uh, stumping each other with facts and figures. Yes. That's trivia. Oh, That's God. the land of trivia. Trivia town. <laughs> trivia town. Here on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.